Welcome to series five of Let's Talk Law, the Law Careers podcast for students at King's College London. I'm Caroline Lindner, one of the careers consultants at the Dixon Poon School of Law, and today I'm delighted to be joined by Dipti Kumar, and let me tell you a little bit more about her. Dipti is a sustainability advocate who is passionate about driving footprint neutral policies and businesses within macro and micro ecosystems. She studied law at King's College London and was the top lawyer in international financial law at King's. She recently took on a new role as the head of sustainability at Maxis, the leading converged solutions provider in Malaysia. Over the last five years, she served as the CEO of MCII, an AGO that promotes collective synergies across multiple stakeholders as a sustainable method of impactful change within the education landscape. MCII works on improving literacy in Malaysia and influencing policy change through a data-driven and community-led approach. As an advisor to the late Queen Elizabeth II and the royal family through the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Trust, Dipti advised on sustainability and social impact investment across Commonwealth countries and served on a panel to develop the Queen's Young Leaders Programme. She was also a United Nations Youth Representative and led the UN Changemakers in Geneva, an inclusive global policy movement. Welcome, Dipti. Thank you so much for joining us today on Let's Talk Law. Thanks very much, Caroline, for that lovely introduction. And I'm happy to be here. Wonderful. Right. Let's let's start talking about your time at King's then, because it is a King's alumni podcast after all. So what I didn't say in my introduction was that you did the LLB and an LLM at King's. So tell us about your decision to study for both of those courses, Dipti. So firstly, for my LLB at King's, uh, when I was in school, I started uh, identifying that I was pretty strong at debate, you know, interpersonal skills, and I also knew that I did not want to go into any sciences. Um, so then I decided LLB would be the degree for me. And why King's? I mean, you know, King's was known and continues to be known as one of the top universities for law globally, and especially Malaysia being a common law country. Um, so that made the right sense for me at that time. And I did go into uh, the LLB with the intention uh, of possibly becoming a practicing lawyer. Um, but then towards the end of year one to mid-year two of my undergraduate degree, I started solidifying the fact that practicing law is probably not something I was particularly passionate about. And I had been spending a lot of my spare time since I was younger, actually, since I was about 16, um, volunteering and mentoring um, children from underprivileged backgrounds. And I started realizing the gap, the education equity gap, right? So that shares a little bit about my journey. Um, and I'm going to share a bit more about that later. But the LLM, so what I wanted to do was I wanted to pursue postgraduate education. I wanted to uh, improve my employability, you know. Um, and what made sense for me as a law graduate was to do a master's of law. So there was a higher chance for me to firstly understand what the application requires and, you know, uh, make the best out of the course. But also, particularly King's, because of the international experience and exposure you get when you're at King's. Uh, the lecturers, because I had already done my LLB there, I was quite familiar um, with some of the lecturers there. And other than that, because in my career in social impact, um, some of the key things I was doing involved policy work. So LLM really helped in that as well, alongside, you know, building stakeholder engagement. So this time the difference was I went in knowing that I'm most likely not going to pursue um, becoming a practicing lawyer, if at all, maybe in the distant future. 
Yeah, that's great. Thank you very much. And and actually, that last point there, I do think there are a number of our LLMs who feel exactly the same. Um, and I'm sure they'll feel reassured that there's been someone else who's gone before them um, in that same way. So um, before we sort of move on to careers um, and, you know, move away from your time at King's, what else did you get involved with outside of your studies, Diptia? We know that there's so much on offer at university that, and King's is no exception. What else did you do when you weren't uh, busy hitting the books? So I try to have quite diverse involvement. Some of the constant things that I used to be involved in, um, which I started noticing over time was, you know, I was always involved in some of the mentoring projects for children with character development challenges. I'd also uh, got the opportunity to project manage and some advisory for a social enterprise in Nepal that worked to feed and home and school uh, the street children of Kathmandu. But to be more specific, um, in my year one at King's of my undergraduate degree, I actually became cast of a musical by the King's Malaysian Society. So a few months were caught up with that and the rest of the time I was busy preparing for my exams. <laughs> Um, in year two, I want to do something different. Um, so I actually joined the King's Rowing Society. So I actually spent a lot of my spare time um, rowing. <laughs> early mornings. Early mornings. And we were training with the Cambridge team as well. So yeah. it was early morning, it was competitive, and it was really great learning experience. And year three, decided to do something different. And I joined the Sailing Society uh, at King's as well and got certified as a sailor so that's pretty cool but throughout uh, I did um, volunteer with uh, um, an NGO called Reach Out UK um, to mentor for a project that basically gets university students to mentor children with character development, development challenges in schools around London and Manchester and since I was involved for a few years I ended up also then being hired as a project lead for Reach Out for a project or two. Anyway I always looked out for opportunities to get involved in general in educate, education equity projects and social impact projects. And that's obviously been a consistent theme. We're going to come back to that. But I love the fact that you did different things and, and chose to do different things in each of your years. And you're certainly not the first podcast guest to have, have approached their university life like that. And I think that's great. So let's talk about careers then. I mean, you've already said, um, you know, you decided the practitioner route wasn't for you. And we'll come on to that a little bit later on. But generally, how did you approach careers during your LLB? So... Let me start off by saying the atmosphere and the environment when you join as an LB student in your first year, moving on to your second year, it, it's very much focused on a solicitor barrister pathway, right? Mm -hmm. So you tend to feel the pressure if you're not like kept, uh, you're not keeping up with what the latest vacation schemes, you know, what the latest rankings, latest opportunities. So I did go around, I did apply for vacation schemes and then later training contracts. And I did land some interviews, but I was also quite stressed out about having to follow the path, so to speak. But I realized that I never truly felt a connection to the work that mm. I was going to be doing through the process of going for interviews, you know, and engaging with these law firms. Um, but also one of my personal tutors at King's uh, and another professor as well, I sought their advice regularly. And um, they said, you know, from my CV and involvement, it seemed quite clear to them that I was not going to practice law. So that sort of opened my eyes to other pathways because they sort of had confidence and faith that, oh, she's doing the LLB and she has so many other pathways that she could really do well at as well. Um, 
and that showed me I didn't need to follow just the expected pathway of the LLB graduate. Um, and a key thing to note here was what I started noticing is that things I was doing in my spare time was quite telling as to what really drove and inspired me. Um, and I did not know what I wanted to do specifically, like where I was going to be in five years or seven years, but I started identifying what I clearly do not want at that time. And that's almost important, if not more important, actually, than what you do end up wanting to do, isn't it? It's, it's process of elimination. And I, I love the fact that you had a couple of your tutors who were perhaps giving you the confidence to realise, actually, what I've got on my CV, maybe that tells an external person more than maybe I'm realising. So we'd established that the practitioner route wasn't for you, but from our previous conversations, Diptio, we were talking about um, how sometimes it's very difficult to work out how what you do next when you're not going to follow that very sort of linear route um, at the graduate stage. So what was your strategy when you decided actually solicitor and barrister route, not for me, at least not at the moment, um, what was your strategy? So undergoing vacation scheme and training contract applications, those um, to start off with did help me a lot to further hone my written communication skills targeted towards employers and understand because I was also in a new country, right? Although Malaysia is also an English speaking country, there are some cultural nuances. Um, and also I was just learning about the corporate world, so to speak. So I started off actually applying to, uh, following that sort of pathway that the LLB graduate would take. And through that, I actually learned through the application processes and interviews. And as I mentioned, I did not know what I wanted, but I knew what I did not want. And I would start then eliminating career options based on that. Um, a really good advice, as I mentioned earlier, was actually from the, my professors at King's to tune into what I enjoy doing in my spare time and draw from them on you know, what really motivates me and what I'm willing to actually commit my time and energy to. So although I did not know clearly what I was going to be or what I clearly wanted to do, I eliminated what I didn't, what I knew I didn't want to do for sure. And the important thing is I constantly looked around for various opportunities to get involved in education equity and social policy and social impact, which then led me to being involved, as you mentioned earlier, at the United Nations as the chairperson for the United Change for the United Nations Changemakers, and also on the advisory panel for the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Trust. Um, these opportunities came about because I managed to find them, you know, on look for them on various um, social media uh, platforms on, on their own websites. Um, and I think that was key to sort of curating my path. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, perhaps we could touch upon that um, because I, I get the sense from your career that each role has helped you towards what you're now doing. Um, and, and I think we see that with lots of people's uh, career paths. So how have some of your previous roles helped you to reach what you're currently doing? And, and perhaps you can give us a bit of information about what you've taken from uh, those opportunities that you've had. So if I may start off with some of the opportunities that I was involved in during my undergraduate degree. So when I was volunteering with Reach Out and eventually became project lead, um, I really learned how to sort of actually apply my skills from my law degree and from my other experiences in a formal way to something that actually I was passionate about, which was, um, you know, being part of that movement for equitable access to education and growth. Um, and then, of course, I, I was also involved in a few other sort of social impact projects here and there in Nepal, in Malaysia. Um, 
but then I also then got involved uh, at the United Nations in Geneva. What I learned there was because I was doing a lot of work on the ground and I was learning a lot about policies in law school. The UN gave me that opportunity to bridge the gap and understand what sort of conversations, what sort of stakeholder management happens at a level where you're talking about global policy and they're not so closely connected to what's happening on the ground. Um, my time with um, as an advisor on the advisory panel, the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Trust, I must say that was actually very formative for me and until today has definitely helped me a lot in my career. Um, that opened up my understanding to work beyond education equity and social policy. It helped me to understand and see what young people around the world are truly doing on the ground, not on the policy level, in trying to improve you know, the communities. And this actually has tied in, this in particular has tied in a lot to the sustainability work that motivates and inspires me today. Um, so other than that, my last role, which was um, as a CEO of MCII, first role back in Malaysia after many years. And it was actually a really, really great platform for me to not only utilize what I consider some of my key strengths, which are interpersonal skills, stakeholder management, um, and my passion, which is in you know driving education equity, but also a great platform to really connect with um, stakeholders who work on all different levels and at different ecosystems in Malaysia to drive social impact. It's been a great almost five years uh, with MCI actually. So we survived the pandemic, myself and the organization, we survived the pandemic together. It was a very formative time and MCI continues to do uh, really great work. But now most recently I've joined, as you mentioned, uh, Maxis as the head of sustainability. They are the largest converged solutions provider in Malaysia. And I'm still quite new in this role. So not much for me to share specifically about, you know, uh, what we're going to be doing. Uh, all along, what I have observed is that my journey has been one of further crystallizing what I want to do, allowing myself to grow and progress and change my mind along the way. For example, from education equity to social impact to sustainability. So um, I'm conscious that when we talk about uh, some of these, um, you know, these these words you're using, sustainability and social impact, make sure that people actually really understand what that means. And you're the expert in this. So, so educate me, Dipti, what does social impact actually mean? So uh, more officially or formally, social impact would refer to projects, interventions that create positive impact or address social justice issues in some way. Um, but to me personally, in, in my career journey, it has a slightly modified meaning. Um, it means any projects, work interventions that create an impact in improving lives. So, you know, improving society, lives of animals, our environment. But a key part to me is its sustainability. So, you know, not just carrying out impact work in pockets that will not have sustaining uh, effects on future generations and, and in time to come. So that's a key part of what social impact needs to have. Thank you. Um, and you've said already, you, you know, you only just started your new role, but I wonder if you could just tell us a little bit more about perhaps what, what you've been brought on to do, what, what the purpose of Head of Sustainability and Maxis is all about. Sure. So um, as the Head of Sustainability and Maxis, firstly, um, Malaysia has recently, our stock exchange, Bursa Malaysia, has recently, only last month, 
um, made it mandatory for all public listed companies to report sustainability indicators. So this is a great step <clears throat> in Malaysia and um, one of the pioneers actually in the region of Southeast Asia. So that being said, um, you see many companies, corporations, businesses now investing more in sustainability, setting up sustainability teams. Um, that being said, um, first to talk about my transition, I only recently took on this role, so I don't want to go too ahead of myself, but transition has been interesting because I was like, okay, I have a law degree, you know, I have LLB and LLM, and I'm not practicing lawyer. My work has primarily been in social policy and NGOs, NGO management. So what are my sellable skills? Where do I go from my NGO role? Um, and that was a question I pondered on a lot. So what has been interesting was I realized, oh, I want to continue doing impact work um, and I don't want to be constrained by considering funding, right? Because NGOs, a lot of time is invested in raising funds. Um, and also a lot of work you do is closely tied in uh, with collaborations with the government. So I realized sustainability, you know, working with um, one of the corporations that is a front runner in this space. So with Maxis in particular, through the pandemic, it was further highlighted to me what a vital role Maxis and a few other core companies um, play in social and national development through connectivity specifically. You know, Maxis to me is a proactive, sustainable company. They are ahead of the game when it comes to, you know, being sustainable and reporting the sustainability indicators. Uh, personally, I kept a lookout on Google and specifically company websites. And I applied, so specifically with Maxis, I had targeted um, this company because of my interest in them since about a year ago. I used to regularly follow up on their websites. And the moment I saw the head of sustainability role appear, um, I submitted an online application. I also contacted the head of talent acquisition via LinkedIn. Um, so with this role, I'm very excited because it's an opportunity for me now to be part of the next step in the Maxis journey, which is, you know, being a pioneer in sustainable leadership across businesses in Malaysia. So what I will be doing in this role is primarily identifying, understanding where Maxis is in the sustainability journey in terms of the environmental sustainability, social and governance. And from there, carrying out internal assessments, external assessments, and designing how we're going to further improve and transform that, and hopefully have an impact beyond the company, getting other corporations to also join in and have a stronger commitment to sustainability. Sounds fascinating. And obviously, we, we wish you well as you continue in that role. Um, but yes, it seems like it is, as you've said, bringing together not just your prior experience, the various strands of it, but also the skills that you've developed throughout the course of your of your career. Um, I'm always interested to know um, from our guests what the most important trends in their work is at the at the current time that we're speaking. So could you talk us through some of those trends? And they, they might be they might be very, um, you know, sort of relevant to people that we're who are listening to this podcast. They may have heard of them, but equally so we may not know very much about it. So really interested to hear your thoughts on that. Sure. So as I mentioned earlier, um, the Malaysian Stock Exchange announced about a month ago that listed companies uh, in Malaysia have to report on their sustainability indicators. This is um, really good in driving a lot of uh, commitment, or at least an understanding within corporations on what sustainability is and what it needs to be. Um, that being said, when I attend conferences, you know, um, global conferences, so it's not just confined to Malaysia, 
um, many people ask, and some of the themes are, is sustainability a new religion or a trend that will fade as have other trends, right? Yeah. And normally my answer to that is sustainability is just a word. It's a label to help governments, businesses, individuals be more focused on footprint neutral existence. You know, it's actually much more focused on a mindset change within individuals, governments, corporations. And as the world continues to define and crystallize what sustainability means to the global community, there are many questions also um, about what are the most reliable and accurate sustainability indicators. For example, there seems to be questions about the adequacy of carbon emissions and carbon neutrality as the key environmental indicator. Many people say that there's actually many other key environmental indicators we need to be looking at to have more comprehensive reporting on our sustainability. So all in all, it's a growing space um, and it's here to stay. I think there's much to learn for all of us in the sustainability space and for those outside it too. Yeah, thank you very much. Um, just pivoting a little bit back to um, career paths. And I think we've established quite clearly that you, you've, you haven't had a clear path into what you're doing now. And I, and I think it'd be really helpful for our listeners to gain um, some advice from you about, you know, for those people who may be looking for a job, which doesn't seem to be clearly defined in terms of the route or the pathway to get it. And there will be many of our listeners doing the LLB or the LLM or already graduated from King's who probably are grappling with that. So what's your advice for them, Dipti? So if I were to summarise my advice based on uh, my experience over the last seven, ten years, I would say, firstly, identify what motivates you, or what you spend most of your spare time doing and committing your energy to. Um, number two, you don't have to know exactly what you want to do in now or in seven to ten years, but you should be able to identify some pathways that you clearly do not want and build your path step by step as you eliminate opportunities that you clearly don't want to pursue. And finally, stay open and keep looking. Um, constantly look around for opportunities to get involved. Use different platforms and make it a regular part of your timetable, like once a week or once in two weeks. Because I think um, exploring those opportunities, building your network and skills, that's what's really going to help you build more of a clear path uh, as mm. you go along. Yeah, great advice. Thank you. And um, the word networking is used a lot at the moment, I think. And we're trying to encourage our students to become more confident in networking. But, you know, it, it to reframe it, it, you know, it is having conversations and getting to know people. And I just wonder how important that has been in your career, Dipti. And again, any sort of advice about how to approach it? Because I think it can seem like a quite a scary thing to do actually to put yourself out there um, particularly at the early stage of your career so i mean networking has truly been a key skill that has helped me learn grow and develop new opportunities um, the more i built my network the more i was humbled by the tremendous people i met who worked to create better lives for others the amount of new skills i can actually develop to continue the work that i want to do and you also realize that as you network, more opportunities open up for you. Um, but secondly, what I would add is a, a true sense of being genuine about what you represent, you know, why you are choosing the alternate path, so to speak, or why is it you are following this path or taking on this opportunity? Um, I feel like the, being genuine that truly comes through in, in your applications and, you know, uh, in your work at these projects. And finally, 
uh, interpersonal skills and stakeholder management. These have also been really vital in my uh, career. Thank you very much indeed. And we have come to the end of our time together, Dipti. But before I let you go to get on with the rest of your day, I want to remind our listeners that we will be back soon with a new episode of Let's Talk Law. But in the meantime, and on behalf of our listeners, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been wonderful chatting with you. It's always so interesting to hear from people who have taken a very different uh, career path um, since they've left King's and clearly doing really important work um, in the areas that you are um, focused on and clearly so passionate about. So thank you so much for your time, Dipti. We really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me, Caroline.